Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 12. Maeve was enjoying the car immensely. A simple press of the pedal and it roared with power. Power befitting a queen. There was a sense that with such energy you could smash through any barriers to achieve your goal. Barriers such as the cattle gate or the skull of an insolent farmer who refused to give up a bull he didn't understand or rightfully deserve. All reached in and turned the key. The engine died down and grew silent. Maeve looked at the short man and frowned. Why did you do that? It isn't very good for the engine, my queen, Nall said. This car is hardly something that's been kept in pristine condition. After all, I should know. I'm currently inhabiting the body of the person who failed to look after the vehicle. Maeve turned and stared out the windscreen at the crone's hovel, not really seeing what was before her. Instead, she was imagining how close they were to realising her goal. She wondered if there was some way via magic to send her back to the old times with the car. It would change the entire landscape of battle if the queen could ride around in a metal monster. Horsemen would never be able to catch her. Archers would be effectively useless. Even true warriors, with their axes and swords, would fall beneath her as the car drove over them. My queen, Nall said, gently tapping her on the shoulder. She left her daydream behind and got out of the car. Nall stepping aside to allow her past. He, however, was staring out into the field, away from the car and the hovel. Maeve followed his gaze. Two men were walking across the field, headed in the direction of the hovel. One was a tall, ginger-haired man with a long brown coat on. The other was extremely skinny, giving the impression that a strong fart could have knocked him over. Considering the men of this time all kept their hair quite short, the skinny man's was fairly long making him look somewhat scruffy. Noll closed the door with a solid bang, using the movement to step between Maeve and the newcomers. He reached into the back pocket of his jeans, revealing the handle of a small knife. Nothing too rash, the Queen cautioned him. There may just be people out strolling through the area. We don't need to make things more complicated, not at this stage. Noll gave a curt nod of his head, never shifting his gaze from the pair. As they approached, the one in the coat raised a hand into the air and waved at them. Hello, forest people, he said, stopping ten feet away from the car. The skinny man fell back two steps and took a half step behind his associate. Well, Noll said. Now that car is in need of some tender love and care. You can hear the engine all over the countryside. We heard the noise a whole field and some forest away. Thought somebody might be in trouble. Figured we'd do the nice thing and come and check. He smiled at them all. So kind of you to check on strangers, Noll said, looking back briefly at Maeve. We look into getting it serviced. You can go back to your country walk. I wouldn't bother if I was you, the new arrival said. Getting the car serviced, I mean. You won't have much use for it when you return back to your own time. Maeve stared at the pair of men. What do you mean? she asked. My name's Filthy Henry, the ginger-haired man said. Very detective. You two are clearly not from around here. Or even from around now, I'd wager. The Queen looked all over, 
then examined her own body quickly. There was nothing that she could see which would have indicated to this stranger that all was not as it seemed. No magical signs that she had been brought forward in time, nor any hint at the fact Noel's spirit was in the wrong body. Yet this man spoke with a tone of authority, as if he knew he was correct. But how? Was this just a random meeting, with somebody else who happened to know about the fairy creatures of Ireland, and what they could do? Maybe it was just as the crone said, and fate had decided to ensure that everything went according to some ancient script. A gambit was required. What do you mean? Maeve said. Also, what's a fairy detective? Well, I am, said Filthy Henry. Ireland's first and foremost one at that. At least I'm fairly sure I'm the only one. But you can't put that on a business card in case there's another fairy detective floating around. Anyway, let's just cut out the boring lies and all that lark straight away, okay? I can see the magic streaming from the two of you. Just take my word for it. Your man here has been inserted into that body, judging from the spell around his head. You, on the other hand, have a faint shimmer just on the edge of your person, which is a hint that you're displaced from your proper time and there's a spell keeping you here. I haven't seen a spell like that before, but let's call it an educated guess. The real puzzle about all this is how. He leaned to the left slightly, an action which caused his skinny friend to move and keep some cover, and looked at the hovel under the trees. I'm guessing you've got a scoid in there, the fairy detective said, pointing at the hovel. A scoid? The skinny man asked, staying firmly behind Filthy Henry. There's no scoid. Was that what you said? What's a scoid? Noel said, trying his very best to look nonchalant as far as Maeve could tell. Do you mean a hag, maybe? Filthy Henry smiled, a smile that instantly irked Maeve. Nope, I meant a scoid, he said. The word was sort of bastardised into hag. Essentially meaning the same thing, actually. But a scoid is a fairy creature, similar to a witch, and known to live in places as that horrible-looking construction over there. At least the truly ugly ones do. Neither Maeve nor Noel responded. It's all right, because if the occupant of that abode doesn't step out in the next five seconds, Filthy Henry said, raising his left hand into the air, I'm going to do my very best wolf from the three little piggies, only with added pyromania. The door to the hovel opened and the crone stepped out, followed closely by True. Filthy Henry looked surprised at the size of the man. I've heard about you, Lawrence said, pointing a gnarled finger at the fairy detective. The half-breed. Don't you generally keep to Dublin? Too afraid to step outside the city, I've heard. I'm on a bit of a holiday, Filthy Henry said, lowering his hand. You know you've broken like seven of the rules, right? You can't just go inserting souls into people. And I'm not entirely sure how you did it. But time-travelling immortal is high on the no-no list as well. Then again, if I did my homework correctly, you're the outcast, aren't you? The outcast? Maeve asked, glancing over her shoulder. I'll explain later, the crone said, keeping her eyes fixed on the ginger man. Are you telling me the crone McGarry's a proper witch? Cahal asked. Yes, little boy, the crone said, eyeing Cahill intensely. Shut up or I'll curse your manhood to fall off. As for you and your rules, half-breed, I'm already dealing with the punishment for showing myself to humans. I'm unable to use the veil anymore. Ah, boo-hoo, Filthy Henry said. Listen up, 
We know what you're all up to. So just pack up your gear, power down the spells and let's all go back to our boring lives without any drama. Deal? Maeve stepped around Noel, who shifted his stance slightly and crossed her arms as she looked at the fairy detective. There was very little about him which she found impressive. This was not a warrior. He had very little extra weight compared to Cahill and no muscles bulging beneath his clothes. His attitude would have resulted in missing teeth had he been alive in the old days. Such outright disrespect of a queen could easily have caused a sudden separation of his head from his neck. Go back to wherever you crawled out of, Maeve said. This doesn't concern you in the slightest. It's a matter beyond your ken. Filthy Henry looked at the queen, arching his eyebrows. Ha! You've no idea what I can and cannot do, the fairy detective said. He looked over at the crone. I'm guessing you've explained to her about fate. Lauren nodded. She knows. She isn't happy, but she knows. Splendid, Filthy Henry said, looking back at the queen. You're here to try and take a magical bull that doesn't belong to you. The why, I don't really care. The how, on the other hand, is very important. Up until right now, you've been able to do whatever you felt was needed to get said bull. That was only because you had not met the champion. So consider this the official glove thrown down. You shall not make any further attempts to get the magical bull until you've defeated the champion in single combat. Same rules apply this time as they did last time around. Except now you don't have your husband's army to cheat when things don't go your way. Are we clear? Maeve narrowed her eyes and thought about what had just been said. Being married to a lie had taught her to be very precise when she picked her words, to ensure no double meaning could be inferred. Allowing the king to have some friends over to play cards quickly turned into a night of heavy drinking, all because the permission given had failed to limit what activities were acceptable. Previously, I was allowed seven champions to test against the bull's defender in single combat. Do you agree that this can be the condition once again? The fairy detective scratched at his chin. Bear in mind that fate will ensure everything happens as it should, even if you refuse this request, the crone said. Okay. You get to send seven guys against the champion. Single combat only. Once defeated, you lot scram and leave the bull alone. The Nosk Driakta, which I'm assuming is what brought the queen forward in time, means the combat has to start in the same day as it did before, which is in three days' time if I did my research correctly. We'll all meet then. Trug broke out laughing. Everyone looked over at him. You honestly think it'll take seven people to get rid of you? Filthy Henry frowned and trapped at his chin. Who said it was me? He turned around, grabbed Cahill by his shoulders and dragged the man forward so that everyone could see. Say hello to the descendant of Coo Cullen, the champion of Carlingford, defender of the bull. Cahill Cullen, Filthy Henry said, slowly building up to roar out the name. There was silence amongst everyone. You could hear the wind gently blowing in the leaves. Then somebody, Maeve was not sure who, snorted. This was followed by another snort and a titter of laughter. Finally nobody could contain it any longer and everyone started laughing at Filthy Henry and Cahill. It was an infectious laugh. One that seemed to grow when you looked at the other people laughing along with you. Even the crone was chuckling away, leaning against Trug who had tears streaming down his face. Noel started to slap the roof of the car as he laughed so hard it seemed to make breathing difficult for him. Well, that's a boost to the old ego, Cahill said.
formulated milk intended for babies was not a good substitute for normal milk in your tea. Mammy Cullen had been fairly sure this would be the case. But humanity's capacity for laziness knows no bounds. At least if said capacity ever tried to find its limitations, they would be boundless. But by the very definition of being lazy, this was unlikely to ever happen, as it would have to involve too much work. Regardless, when you opened your fridge in the morning to discover you had no milk, a person has two choices. Go to the shop and buy some milk, or whisk up some of the baby formula and take a chance. Mammy Cullen had instantly regretted her decision after the first sip. She had justified the act to herself by considering the amount of effort it would have taken to go to the shop. People without young children really did not understand the struggles parents had to endure to perform the most simple of tasks. A basic thing, such as using the toilet, became a scheduled event with a tiny audience. Whereas those without young children could urinate whenever and wherever they wanted. For Mammy Cullen to go to the store for a bottle of milk, she would have had to dress the baby, feed the baby, change the baby's nappy, and subsequently the clothes after the baby got sick all over their outfit. Then she could dress herself, while entertaining the baby in between articles of clothing. Finally redress the baby as they did one last little puke, all just to get ready to leave the house, taking roughly an hour if everything went according to plan. So why not risk baby formula in your tea? Which was how, two hours after the kettle had boiled, Mammy Cullen was leaving a shop in Carlingford with enough milk to drown a cow. Just in case the shortage happened again. Oh, sorry, dear. Oh, hello. The front wheel of the pram had connected with the ankle of a young woman who'd been walking down the street at speed. A young and very attractive, but sadly shy woman. My fault, Alice said, holding up her hands. I'm late for my shift. I wasn't watching where I was going. They work you too hard in that place, Mummy Cullen said. That helps pay the bills, Alice replied, bending down to reach out and tickle the baby under his chin. How is little Kaha, I mean Ulton doing? Sorry, your eldest has me doing that now all the time and I forget. Don't worry about it. The little one's doing good. Big and bold. Listen, I won't keep you. Go on if you're late. Alice straightened up, smiled and continued on her way. Mammy Cullen watched her for a few seconds and let out a sad sigh. Such a nice girl, she said to the baby. If only your big brother could get his act together. They had found a free table in the perfect place. Nestled a short walk from the bar counter while still close enough to the fire so the warmth could be enjoyed. It was not near any of the bathrooms and for some inexplicable reason seemed to have the best service of all the other tables. Despite being furthest from the kitchen. It was almost as if the waitresses and barboys purposely walked past the table, making it extremely easy to get their attention and order extra food or drink. Drew was enjoying his second bowl of chunky chips, while across from him, Shelley picked at a salad of some healthy description. Since they had left the last burial site, Shelley had barely said two words to him, stewing silently to herself. The druid was fairly sure that when she next saw Filthy Henry, the fairy detective would get a sizable piece of her mind. Although Drew was not entirely sure if such a course of action would have been valid, even though they had turned up empty-handed after three searches. After all, most of the old Irish myths and legends did not happen exactly as they were written in the books. Even Drew knew this. The fairy folk had allowed the tales to be twisted and distorted, so that it was harder for humans to figure out the actual truth. 
otherwise leprechauns would have had trouble keeping their crocks of gold safe from ambitious thieves. Then again, a leprechaun's crock of gold had been stolen in the recent past. But Drew had only heard half of that story from a number of sources. The general gist had been that Filthy Henry had somehow gotten involved and everyone lived to hate the fairy detective another day. But there was a rumour that had circulated, spreading from the fairy world and making it into Drew's very store by a passing member of the fairy folk, about what had happened on Grafton Street in Dublin one wintry night, how the fairy detective had lost something and regained it through magical means. Drew glanced quickly at Shelley, then back to his chips. There was nothing obvious about her to indicate the stories were true. She seemed acted and punched like the woman Drew had first met in his store. Nothing strange or unexplained ever happened around her, which ruled out magic in her blood. Filthy Henry was the reason Shelley could see the fairy people, and all things mystical, bolstering her latent ability that had not faded from childhood. Yet people and fairies, at least those in the know, still talked. Then there had been Filthy Henry's very precise instructions about who should carry the hurley when it was found. That raised a few questions about Shelley, such as why ask for someone else to carry an item if there was nothing behind the rumours. You know what, Shelley said, snapping Drew out of his thoughts. I bet it was just a stupid MacGuffin. A MacMuffin? the Drew asked. Like what you can get for breakfast, that sort of thing. What? No, a MacGuffin. You know, a plot device in some horribly written fantasy story that doesn't actually do anything to the overall plot except send the characters on random searches. Like a suitcase that everybody in the story wants, but nobody ever finds out what's actually inside. Don't you read? Drew nodded. Of course I read. It just so happens that I enjoy those stories is all. Who cares what's in the suitcase? It's the adventures around it that you want to be entertained by. Shelley rolled her eyes and picked up her fork, prodding at the food on her plate with disinterest. It made Drew feel a little uncomfortable to sit at the table in silence with her. Generally, when women were displeased in the druid's presence, they quickly left his company and went in search of happiness elsewhere. It happened so frequently that Drew had just assumed that was how all dates were meant to end. But Shelley had nowhere else to go at that moment, since he was paying for lunch. So they sat at the table in a silence so awkward, it could have been the love interest in an unrealistic romantic comedy. You know, I think he's just full of horse crap, Shelley said, staring down at her salad. The druid remained quiet and picked up another delicious chip. It made more sense just to let Shelley complain to herself, rather than join in and risk becoming the target of her frustration by saying the wrong thing. He reckons there are no fairy folk around here because of the old legend, she said, slowly looking around the bar. But what if it isn't because of that at all? What if it's something else? Drew waited for her to elaborate, but when she didn't, he glanced up at her. Her eyes had fixed on something in the room behind his seat. As he slowly chewed on a chip, the druid tried to follow her line of sight to see what had grabbed her attention. While his head was turned, Shelley stood up from the table and dragged her chair towards the bar. Behind the counter, the barman watched her, a pint glass being polished to perfection in his hand. Shelley positioned her chair up against the bar counter, made sure it was steady and carefully stepped onto it. Here, the barman said, knocking on the countertop with his hand before once again taking up the task of polishing. Seats are not for feet. The druid watched Shelley with interest. She reached up amongst the various knickknacks, collectibles and oddities that adorned a high shelf above the bar counter. 
moving aside some novelty drinking glasses, the sort that were shaped like nubile young women and Herculanean muscled men. She cleared a small area and revealed the object of her attention. How long has this been up here? Shelley asked, leaning down slightly so she could look at the barman. What? he asked. This metal hurley stick, Shelley said. It's got so much dust on it. Must be up there years. Drew spat out the chip in his mouth and stood up from the table so fast he knocked the chair over. It crashed to the ground with an attention-grabbing bang. The barman and Shelley both looked over at him. You all right? Shelley asked. Sure, the druid replied, nodding. Here, uh, let me uh, get that for you. He started to walk across the floor towards Shelley, pointing at the stick on the shelf. Don't be stupid, Shelley said. I'm not some damsel in distress who can't pick up an old dusty hurdy stick. Suddenly the druid could sense magic in the air. A slight electrical hum just on the edge of hearing. The charm around his neck grew warm as energies started to build in the immediate area. Over the years he had learned that this was magical power building up, preparing to be unleashed in a fairly spectacular manner, that everyone, even people without a second sight, could see as plain as day. Before Drew could do or say anything, Shelley reached up and went to grab the hurdy by its handle. There was a loud bang, like a fuse box exploding, and sparks lit up the shelf. Shelley was flung backwards, sailing through the air and crashing into the ground on her back. Her eyelids fluttered for a second and closed. Shelley, Drew shouted, running over and dropping to his knees by her side. He checked her pulse at the wrist and watched her chest rise and fall. Always a good indication that breathing was taking place. Her right hand had little black marks on it, like burn marks. The druid forced open her right eyelid, but she simply stared blindly at him. She was alive, but unconscious. Out cold. Up on the shelf there was some movement. Then the hurley stick fell to the ground at Shelley's feet. The barman was resting his arms on the countertop, staring down at Shelley and Drew. Am she all right? The druid, relieved, nodded his head once. She's breathing. Just knocked out. Can you get us a taxi and give me a hand getting her home? Also, I'm going to need to take that hurdy stick with me. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.